Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. I have a question from Jade. She says, can a C-section impact future fertility? No, unless there were complications at the time of the seizure of infection. Otherwise, no. I just wanted to ask Sean a couple of things. Sure. Which might be helpful to patients. As I say, Sean is my right hand. She sees the patients. She probably spends more time with the patients than I do. Listens to all their issues and problems about the dog not being unwell at home. Yeah, so she hears everything about the grandmother and whatever, 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 because uh, that's what the sort of people who make IVF clinics good is that, that we establish relationships with the patients. They're not just a number, and I know I've heard that in other clinics, particularly the low-cost clinics. They're just a number on a machine, which is the way it has to be to keep the cost down. But you know, I, I've always supported a service where we spend a lot of time with the patients, with the nurses. Sean, what do you think are the big issues for patients going through IVF? I think the biggest issue is they're actually putting your hand up and saying, I want some help. And I think that's incredibly hard to do. And By help you mean support? Support or, 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 or actually or starting, starting some investigations and, and just saying, yeah. actually, it's not working on our own or I'm on my own and, you know, Mr Wonderful hasn't turned up or Mrs Wonderful hasn't turned up, whatever the equation is. I think it's very hard to say, I'm that person and I need to walk in. And so I always feel very proud of the girls that when they come in because I think it's very hard to go to your GP and say, I need some help, and then to come to, you know, a nice little receptionist at the front desk. And I think once you actually get into it, you realise we're not quite as scary and not quite as um, intimidating. And I think once you actually get in, it's like, okay, I wish I'd done this two years prior or whatever, whatever, you know, it's a very common comment that people make and they just go, no, it's not as scary as what I thought. I I mean, I do a lot of the orientations, which is when we teach you how to use the medications and and run through the cycles and do the consents and do all that sort of stuff that has to be done to the boxes. And the girls will say to me, I wish I had done this two years prior. I wish it wasn't as bad as what I thought. And the mental journey after the embryo is back or, you know, waiting for the pregnancy test, that's the hard bit. The actual injections, the bloods, the scans, that's the easy stuff. It's its the mental stuff of waiting for a response. That's I always go, my bit's the easy bit. The lab has the hard bit when they tell you how many eggs you have and how many fertilise and then the numbers start to drop and then waiting for a pregnancy test. That's 
that's hard work. But I think the nurses, we try really hard to touch base with everyone in that time and we also offer counselling and I think that's really important at that time because there is no control and most of my girls are very smart, articulate girls, you know, used to running their lives and being in charge and this is just out of their control and that's frustrating and heart-rendering. I have a follow-up question from Jade. She says, I'm also, I'm 27 years old doing IVF for male factor, one live birth, one miscarriage and one IVF live birth, going for baby number three and had two failed FET. Could this be just chance? I have had two failed FET and not signs that my fertility is an issue, knowing I had a C-section for my last child. Okay, I can understand why she's asking the question about whether C-sections make a difference. It's highly unlikely that there's been an issue. If she was my patient, I would probably at this point, however, be looking inside the uterus with a telescope to make sure there's no scarring as a residual from the, from the caesarean section and to make sure there's no other issues in the, in the lining of the womb. We'd take a sample to look for uh, chronic inflammation, which can be a factor in, in not success. However, the statistics are there. 27-year-old with their second embryo transfer, for instance, let's take it at that point, your odds of success are probably around 30%. So that's a 70% chance that it wouldn't take. So after two cycles, the expectation would be that by now you should have about a 60% chance of being pregnant, but not more than that, purely by chance. So 40% of women in your scenario at 27 with two frozens, 40% of you would be sitting in front of the specialist saying, it hasn't worked twice, why isn't it, hasn't it worked? And that's almost certainly because of chance. But I would certainly be investigating further just to make sure nothing adverse has happened with your previous delivery. I was going to say, if you need me, I'm shan.rutherford at ivf.com.au. Especially the girls that are overseas and interstate, I, I tend to do a lot of those patients as well. So my team are great with the girls that are in our local area, but I do tend to anything that's a little bit more difficult um, and overseas, then by all means, give me a buzz as well. I'm very happy to talk. Even if you were going to another clinic, I'm also very happy for you to, to talk to me and just run through it and just make sure that everything is going as the way it should be. You know, it's all about making babies. It's not just about spruiking IVF Australia or Professor Chapman, even though I've been spruiking him for a lot of years. I think, you know, it's all about making babies for you and for your future. And that's what's really important for us. And I know it sounds cheesy, but it's very, very true. Christy says, so with my elevated natural killer cells, I know I will have to go on steroids. Roughly how long will I have to be on them? Also, will this affect my immune system? Well, starting with the last question first, yes, it does, but not to any significantly detrimental way. So the dose we use uh, is about is 20 milligrams on a daily basis, and that certainly does produce some immune suppression, but not significant. I mean, people with you know rheumatoid arthritis, you know, painful joints take up to 100 milligrams a day or someone so immune disorders and so you can see it's not a massive dose how long for yes okay so um in our regime is to start on day one of the cycle that you're going to have an embryo transfer or any collection an embryo transfer and if when pregnancy occurs we continue it until 10 or 11 weeks because it's thought that by that stage, the pregnancy has established itself. The, the, the body has accepted that it's there. And and we tail off the dose over a period of about 10 days, halving the dose on a daily basis. So that's our regime. Well, so I was about to say, and it does no harm. Now, there is 
Very slight evidence from one study, which hasn't been confirmed, is that there may be an increased incidence of what's called a cleft lip, where the baby's born with a, a lip that's, which is not a, you know, it's not a life-threatening condition. Uh, it can be repaired. The evidence is that that normally occurs in about one in six or seven hundred babies anyway. And when you take steroids in the early part of pregnancy, maybe it's one in 400. So it's still incredibly small risk. It's just not... Uh, it's just slightly higher than the background. That's the only evidence so far that steroids do any harm. Otherwise, I certainly do prescribe it when I find high levels of natural killer cells. So Marizella says, I've been due five times IVF. Nothing happened. I was due through laparoscopy, hysteroscopy. Doctor says yep. I have endometriosis, but remove the little bit, but not in uterus. I'm trying to follow this, but I'm struggling. It's, it's somewhere... And I ask him, can be a problem for IVF? He says, not be a problem because I try to stay five years pregnant, nothing happened. That I ask you, can be a problem that or not end? He says, I think maybe can be immune system that affect pregnant. If I'm doing IVF, what do you think, doctor? What next option? Sometimes I didn't know what I need to do. Mm. Okay, no, that sounds tricky. How old is she? Sorry, I, I know we made that from before. Uh, I know. It, unfortunately, she doesn't share her age here. I mean, it's good, good that they found endometriosis. Hopefully, it's been cleared up um, by the surgeon when they were doing it and they've done a good job because uh, that will improve your chances of pregnancy. The way in which endometriosis affects pregnancy rates is not known. Some people do believe it's related to the immune system or the, the inflammation that endometriosis occurs uh, affecting the immune system, but no one knows where, you know, whether giving steroids makes any difference to that. Moving forward, sounds like most things have been done and... I suppose my only other thought, particularly if you're older, would be when you do IVF is to include the possibility of testing the embryos to make sure they're genetically normal because that's the commonest reason for, for ongoing failure, uh, that nature is not very good with older eggs. It makes them genetically abnormal before we start. So knowing that the embryo that's going back is genetically normal is a good thing. I've got a memory that... She is actually an older lady, and that's probably the most significant issue. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com, and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.